Hey, welcome. It's On Mike with Jordan Rich. Great to be with you as we celebrate conversation with creative people. And when it comes to movies, there's nobody better than John DeLeo, author of so many great books, including Screensavers, 40 Remarkable Movies Awaiting Rediscovery, 100 Great Film Performances You Should Remember But Probably Don't, and You Thought You Knew Classic Movies, And his latest one, I love it, there are no small parts, 100 outstanding film performances with screen time of 10 minutes or less. John has been a frequent guest of mine over the years and a longtime friend. So it's time to lower the lights, grab some popcorn, and enjoy conversation about those special film performances that we remember, as I invite John DeLeo to join me on mic. John, you've outdone yourself. I didn't think it was possible. Congratulations on There Are No Small Parts, first of all. Thank you so much, Jordan. We've done so many shows over the years. Uh, You're such a great movie man. And uh, the idea of 100 outstanding film performances with screen time of 10 minutes or less, did you sit down with a timer with your phone and really make sure that that was true? (laughs) I did. I absolutely did because, you know, sometimes there were performances I thought were shoo-ins for the book, and then I'd sit down and it was 12 minutes, and I thought... Well, I'd love to write about them, but I have to play fair. I want it to be with that small amount of screen time. So uh, I was kind of strict. And so, uh, I mean, I knew I wouldn't run out of choices because every movie has parts that are less than 10 minutes long. It's just what are the ones that have standout performances like that? We all kind of know, oh, my God, this movie is just okay, but was so-and-so amazing, and you just got to watch it for that. The best way to do an interview with you is just to have you explore some of these great people and some of these great films. And I'll start, so many from every genre and every generation, but I'll start with one I just saw the other night. Important to, to watch and rewatch. It's such a great film, and Sidney Poitier just passing in the heat of the night. There are a lot of great characters, William Shallert. I mean, there's a lot of great character actors, but you selected Mr. Endicott, the character Larry Gates, a guy that I've seen on screens before, but uh, it was so nice of you to highlight him. Why Larry Gates? Well, yeah. That's a good point, though, about it's, it was so nice to highlight people that are often thought of as just, you know, that guy from that thing, that face, but nobody knows their names. Now, now some of the people are big stars in the book, but, but someone like Larry Gates is not. And certainly they remember the scene in the movie, if they seen in the heat of the night, it was a slap heard around the world. And he's only in one scene, I believe it's just four minutes long, and he's the white southern racist very powerful man and uh he doesn't like being uh you know interviewed by a black police detective played by poitier when he once he realizes he may in fact even be a suspect he slaps poitier who immediately slaps him back and he larry gates's character is in absolute shock and i think one of the things that lingers about that performance only four minutes long, is his reaction. We, we expect him to start ranting and raving. We expect him to call all his powerful friends. But he's so stunned. And then when everyone leaves the room of the greenhouse, he cries. And his reaction is self-pity. He's a victim here. It's his world that's crumbling. And you think, wow, what a window into this character. And then if memory serves, he's comforted by his black servant. <laughs> yeah, his, his, the, he, the servant gives him a look of sort of sympathy before he exits, too. Yeah, yeah. he's shocked. Too. Well, everyone's shocked. Rod Steiger's shocked. And I guess even Sidney Poitier's shocked that he had to do that, that he yeah. would be slapped. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's a it was a perfect one for the book. It's perhaps the most memorable scene in the movie, and the actors in it for four minutes. Yeah, and and he's the perfect cast actor for that role. He looks the part. Yeah, he embodies it, and and in a lot of movies that work, uh, they work because of casting. I mean, the fact that sure. you you put the right people in the right place. So let's talk about some others. And I'm just going off of movies I've seen. Thanks to you, sure. you inspired me to see them again. Pennies from Heaven, Christopher Walken, a scene stealer for sure. <laughs> yeah, most of us in 1981 were not not aware of uh, Christopher Walken's musical comedy past. That he had been in musicals in New York in the in the '60s before his big break on stage in The Lion in Winter, and then of course his movie career. But here he was in his tap dancing glory, and it's you know it's a wonderful scene. I mean, he's in it for about eight minutes or so, where he is this sleazy, scary pimp mm-hmm. about to take uh, Bernadette Peters uh, under his so-called wing. But she has that, uh, looking at him as the film often flips into fantasy involving popular music, he's got the great tap dance number with the girls, and he's, uh, you know, he doesn't sing it because it's all the old recordings of the song, is uh, a showstopper. He is absolutely dazzling, Um, not just a nifty tap dancer, but still in character and such a wonderful, you know, sleazy, but you love to love him. But then when it flips back to reality, he's not fun and, and, uh, and dazzling. He's scary. It's a great little part because it's all contained in those few minutes. That's an example. He had already had a star turn in The Deer Hunter, and and people kind of knew who he was. He was on his way up. But there are so many examples of people we'd never seen before, really, or very rarely, and in some cases didn't really see much of again. Can you recall a a couple of examples of people who just literally had that starburst and then went away? (laughs) Sort of like people, I don't know about so much as as a burst and they went away. They had the burst in terms of it's the best part they ever had. It's yeah. the one I'm focusing on in the book, like uh, the Ona Munson, the woman who plays Belle Watling in Gone with the Wind. She's in other things, but if she hadn't had that role, which is so memorable and she plays it so beautifully, no one would be talking about her, I presume. You know, uh, But she got that one thing, and it's like a, you get a little slice of immortality if you can just land it, and it's in a movie that people keep watching over and over again. So someone like that was fun to write about, too, because she doesn't usually get a chapter in a book. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, for instance, uh, again, we're talking with the great John DeLeo, and there are no small parts. It's a fabulous movie book. The Best Years of Our Lives, considered one of the great American films of all time, 1946, and everyone who's seen the film knows uh, the Harold Russell story. But there's a gentleman you, uh, and I hope I say his name, a Roman Bonin. Is that the way you say his name? Yeah. Okay. Tell the audience a bit about Roman as Pat Derry, and he's only on screen for five minutes. He's one of my favorite uh, 40s character actors, Roman Bonin. And he's in other things like um, Of Mice and Men and The Song of Bernadette, but he's another one people don't really recall the name. And he was one of those who was blacklisted in the late 40s and died an untimely death. best part he ever had, I think, again, is just five minutes in The Best Years of Our Lives, which is a small part. And he plays Dana Andrews' father, and Dana Andrews has come back from war. He's decorated, but they're, you know, they're a poor family. Um, 
here is his father living with his second wife in a shack, and he's just touchingly inexpressive. He just doesn't have the words. But then when he has his one sort of big scene is when, uh, by himself sitting at a table, he reads the section of his son's decoration, and he reads it so simply, it is so moving, and the look on his face that a son of his could have done all of this, the pride, um, it is such a moving scene. Actually, it made me cry every time I looked at it as I was writing about it. Mm. We'd go back to it to get a little detail. I'm actually crying every single time I watch this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing about powerful performances. They can yeah. come in small doses. Uh, yeah. An actress like Mary Astor, and you and I are old yeah. movie buffs, primarily known for the Maltese Falcon and her early days, a very, shall we say, continental-sounding actress. I always thought she was very stiff, but yeah. you point out in Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte uh, Charlotte in the 60s, she turns in a bravuro performance. Yeah, she she was really kind of a remarkable person because she kind of could play everything. And, I mean, she did get recognized. She won an Oscar as supporting actress for The Great Lie with Betty Davis, but she could do the femme fatale and the Maltese Falcon. She could do the warm mother and meet me in St. Louis. She could play uh, the screwball uh, rich lady in uh, the Palm Beach story. So mm. she could really do it all. Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte uh, is at the end of her career. And it's kind of an over-the-top, somewhat campy, gothic horror type thing. But she's got two scenes, and she is a dose of reality in this movie. She just tells it like it is, and she's so grounded, so honest. Um, she's dying. She's got a secret. It's, there's a lot going on. When she those two scenes come up, you're like in, in the real world, and it's so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, speaking of horror, you start off the book very early on talking about, I think, the great universal film of its time, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein. It, some say it's even better than the original Frankenstein. And, of course, Elsa Lanchester, who plays the bride. She's only in it for... She has two roles in the movie, and even adding up both roles, she's in it under 10 minutes. That's right. She who plays she... Mary Shelley in the prologue. Right. I believe that's three minutes, and then she's the bride only in the <laughs> final four minutes of the movie. And it's an astonishing performance because, you know, seeing it now, you have to remember in 1935, that was not an iconic image with the hair and the streak. I mean, that was something new. That was something they created. The sounds she makes, the expression she makes, they it was all brand new. And I, I think she's incredible. I and mean, the reason it's the first one in the book is I wanted to start the book off with a bang. I knew I wanted to start in the 30s, and I, I could start any with any performance I wanted, but I thought, I want to move chronologically, but the first one's got to be one everyone's heard of it. The, the haircut <laughs> alone is, is uh, exactly, iconic, right? Exactly. Uh, I was going to say, there are cases of actors who became big stars, and it's almost as if these small parts in big movies got them recognized. For instance, Gene Wilder in... Bonnie and Clyde as that nervous Nelly uh, is yeah. is a perfect example, isn't it, of somebody who is on his way up and that sort of catapults him a bit. Yeah, that's his first movie, and he's only in, I think it's six and a half minutes or something, as one hostages of uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and then they he, they start to have a really good time. 
Yeah, no, that's... Sequence that ends with them being ditched on the side of the road because they find out he's uh, a mortician. But it's very Gene Wilder. And like I said, the audience didn't know Gene Wilder when that one came out. The producers comes after that. And he he's really... And it's a, it's a great highlight. Uh, but yeah, that one and uh, also Robert Duvall and To Kill a Mockingbird is Boo Radley. That's a film debut oh, as well. Of course. And um, sometimes people have to be reminded that's him because he doesn't look like the Robert Duvall we came to know. But sort of what a start. Um, mm. You know, when your role is talked about for the entire movie, it's a, it's a good way to start your career. Yeah, the other the other examples involve young, young actors, uh, almost so young they're barely alive. And I'm thinking of Jodie Foster, and I forgot all about it, and you reminded us, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, I think she's the youngest. Yeah, that's the youngest person in the book, or the youngest at the time. That's directed by Martin Scorsese, whose next film was Taxi Driver, which, of course, she had a larger role and got an Oscar nomination. But I'm sure he was impressed with her in her few minutes as the tough sort of... uh very young juvenile delinquent in um, in House of Delivery anymore. She uh, plays this tough cookie, like she's seen it all and done it all, and, and she's she's quite amusing, but she's still an 11-year-old girl, and uh, she really was remarkable at uh, you know how uh, intelligent uh, an actor she was, even at so young an age. Yeah. You know what's great about the book, too, for those of us who love movies, and that's a lot of us, I remember seeing, say, the talented Mr. Ripley with Philip Seymour Hoffman's appearance, and he doesn't last very long because he no. he goes under pretty quick under the knife. But he's brilliant, and it's just like, wow, where's this guy coming from? That's the fun of the book, and that's the fun of remembering these things. Yeah, because he's not even. Uh, of course, we have sympathy for him at, in his last scene, but he's not exactly a likable character either. So he's kind of this interesting, privileged kid who. Uh, just does whatever he wants, and but he's kind of on to Matt Damon in a way that nobody else is for a while. These people all have presence. They wouldn't be in the film to begin with if they didn't. They do. Uh, here's an example. We were talking about Sidney Poitier and his famous Raisin in the Sun 1961 performance. Louis Gossett is in the film as George Murchison. Yeah. I don't remember Louis Gossett. He's now a, a lot older, of course, but tell, yeah, me, tell well, me a bit about that. Interesting about yeah, but Raisin in the Sun was the first the Broadway play, and the movie version is the entire original cast except the boy, who was probably too old to be in it two years later, had grown too much. But all the leads, including you know Sidney Poitier, yeah. Ruby D, Diana Sands, and Louis Gossett, who only has one scene, he's a sort of a, kind of a rich kid from a better part of town, and he's dating uh, Sidney's sister who used to be a doctor and a fan. And it's basically a, a, it's a comic scene of him calling on her to take her out on a date. And it's he's very funny in a very understated way. But he's so young, if you don't recognize him, it makes sense because we're not used to seeing <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr. that young. Yeah, with hair, for instance. We don't normally see that. Yeah. Uh, and there's one that I've got to bring up because uh, it's one of my favorites and it's a great comedy film classic, and that's The Producers. And you signal out yeah. the great Dick Sean who just... <laughs> blows every he was not an unknown he had done mad 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 world and a bunch of other stuff he was a stand-up but the casting of dick sean and he's only in it for like you say under 10 so yeah and he only really has two scenes he has the audition and the performance we never see him off the stage right and of course to cast the 60s flower child 
That's that's the joke. That's how right. they're trying to ensure how terrible it will be. And then we see opening night when he's still kind of the 60s flower child <laughs> at the piano uh, with the swastika in his arm. I mean, we, we know the scene. It's uh, springtime for Hitler, but it's after that big number. He's got the scene with Ava Braun, played oh. by Renee Taylor. Hey, it's hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. Talk with us briefly about the impact in Hollywood of the the black actors breaking through the color barrier. And there were some pioneers, obviously Sidney Poitier being the, the standout. But earlier than that, Hattie McDaniel, for instance, how difficult it was for them, first of all, to get any kind of role of any substance, but also to be recognized. Yeah, I really wanted to write about Hattie McDaniel uh, because she's, of course, the first African-American to win an Oscar, Best Supporting Actress for Gone with the Wind. But there's no, like, there's nothing for her after that. So you get to a place, but there's still no, no roles for you. And she basically plays, I think I say in the book, she plays more mammy-like roles. And the only difference is now the audience knows who she is because they saw Gone with the Wind. So I found a, a really good, it's really small, it's like two and a half minutes, but a scene in a, a Betty Davis movie called In This Our Life, in which she is a servant, but she has a beautiful scene with Olivia de Havilland, uh, wrongly accused, and it's really moving and beautiful, and I think it's about to remind people how talented she was. Yeah, no, re- really well done on your part. And here's a fun one, um, <laughs> and I just saw the Desi and Lucy movie that was a lot of fun yeah. as well. The The movie that starred uh, Lucille Ball in 1947 called Lured, L-U-R-E-D, with a guy that everybody knows, but uh, yeah. he turns in, you say, an amazing performance, Boris Karloff. Well, I, it was fun to include some movies that I thought a number of people will have never heard of a movie like Lord. It wasn't a big deal at the time. It's not a big deal now. It's actually a pretty good murder mystery and Lucille Ball is a is a showgirl stranded in London, and they use the police use her as a decoy to trap this guy who's killing women. And uh, Boris Karloff is just a red herring in the movie. He's a crazy, a fashion designer who's lost his mind. And and the scene is both funny and and kind of terrifying too because he eventually becomes maniacal. And it gets to do, he gets to do all the things he's great at in terms mm. of terrifying us, but with a wink. And it, he's very, very funny. And this is after he had done Arsenic and Old Lace on Broadway and had already spoofed himself. So it's, it's sort of in that vein. But it's a long, it's a, what, seven minutes, eight minutes with Lucy. And uh, it, it's really, really fun. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> I, I love him. I love Boris <laughs> How Carlo. can you not love how can you not love them? There's, I'll just point to one more and then a general question or two about your style, and that is The Godfather. As soon as the movie came out, everyone talked about one scene, and you know what that scene is, the horse's head. And it's John Marley, who's had a long career at that point, becomes absolutely ingrained in our heads as the guy wakes up with the horse in his bed. Talk a little bit with me about John Marley. Well, that's an interesting thing, though, too, when you're writing about a scene where everyone remembers the horse. But do they know the you know the name of the actor? Excuse me, who was in the bed? You know, yeah. he does all the acting. The horse doesn't do any of the acting. But yeah, John Marley, who had just come off playing Ali McGraw's father in Love Story, so right. he was kind of hot for a moment. I actually got to know him briefly in New York when I first came to the city, and he was a really nice man. Um, 
But I, I love uh, the role, as, as brief as it is, is that he's so arrogant yeah. in the scenes at the studio and then having dinner with Robert Duvall, and he thinks nobody could ever get the better of him. And when he wakes up, that reaction, uh, like I said, it's not just what happened, it's the way he reacts. And as you said, it's an indelible oh. moment in movie history. You go tell your boss. You know he gives he gives uh, yeah, exactly. Tom exactly. there a, a piece of his mind, and you just know it's coming. <laughs> you know it's, he's going to make you an we offer know, you yeah. can't refuse. The research is perfect. I mean, you do it all. I mean, you give us a, a complete story in two or three pages, and there are one hundred of these. How do you follow up this project with another one? Because you've all all of your books have been themed books that have great deal of interest. What's next on the agenda? Well, I think um, in terms of writing about the classic era, like, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, into the, I guess, early early 60s, the studio years, um, I guess, you know, the subject is generally the same, but it's always finding new ways into it. Like, what's it, like, this exact, this is a perfect example. Well, I've written about lead performances, I've written about underrated movies, but I've never focused on this particular aspect of them, the smaller roles. So I can write about movies that we all know. I can talk about Gone with the Wind and all about Eve and Singing in the Rain, but I get to go into them in a different way from a different vantage point. And that makes it fun for me because I'm not repeating myself. Also, the other thing is some of the books like this one go up to the present day so I can indulge my love of classic Hollywood and start a book Mm -hmm. with... um, Bride of Frankenstein, and travel through all the years and come up to uh, Al Pacino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And so I'm sort of not sort of stuck in the past. I'm indulging my love of the past, but bringing it into the present. What, what I love particularly about this one is the affection you have, and rightfully so, for the character actor. Because, yes, there are many stars, but there are many character actors, professionals who made their living playing role to role to role and li- and worked forever in many cases. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of us love uh, highlighting these people. I'm glad to hear that because, yeah, it was fun for me. And, of course, researching some of these people who aren't well-known, like Frank Puglia or Emery Parnell, you'll know the movies, but <laughs> not the names, but I got to learn so much about their history. Who was from Broadway? Who came from another country? You know, all these interesting tidbits, and you piece together, then they went into television, and, and you get a full feeling for these lives that, for us, are just those guys who always play the same type, usually, like the newspaper guy, and, and there's so much more to these people when you, when you take a look a little deeper. For instance, Sid Charisse in uh, American in Paris, or is, or is that Singing in the Rain? Yeah, Singing in the Rain. So, I'm sorry, Singing in the Rain. That dance sequence is legendary, needless to say, but I don't think she spoke a word. She just did no. her thing. Well, there's two of the hundred. There's one performance that's entirely danced, and that's that one. Yeah. And then there's Lena Horne until the clouds roll by, which is a performance entirely sung. Everybody else, uh, there's some other musical people, but everybody else has dialogue, and those are the only two. And I thought that would be kind of fun. Wait a minute, does Boo Radley say anything? No. So right. he does not speak. I didn't think so. <laughs> not, I believe he speaks in the book. He has a line or two in the book, which I, I mentioned. Uh, but no, he does not speak. It's just a great collection, and I'm so proud and happy for you, my friend. We've known each other for years, and you never disappoint. And if people are smart, they'll rush to order. There are no small parts by John DeLeo, D-I-L-E-O. You want to uh, share with us your website as well, John? J-O-A. 
H N D I L E O dot com. How appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you know, all the usual places. <laughs> well, movies are, are special to a lot of people because of the, the lore and the history and the, I want to say nostalgia, even for recent films, to realize what these people yeah. are all about. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Jordan. Always great to talk to you. Great reconnecting with my buddy John. The book, again, one more time, is There Are No Small Parts, 100 Outstanding Film Performances with Screen Time of 10 Minutes or Less. And you can take a stopwatch to any one of the 100. John gets it right every single time. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow, Fast Twitch Media, to Chart Productions in Boston. That's our production company where we produce this and many other podcasts. Find out more about the podcast, about my radio work, my voiceover career, and my book at jordanrich.com. And as always, thank you for subscribing and downloading the podcast, picking up hundreds of new subscribers every single month, and we sure do appreciate it. Till next time, this is Jordan, as always, saying be well so you can do good. Take care.